Today, Lord, we are thankful for your presence, and we thank you for just the service today, how you have allowed us to join you. We're grateful to you for your presence, and as we prepare to hear the word, we pray today that our spiritual ears and physical ears will be open. For those that are, that are on the prayer list, we lift up right now, and again, pray for them, and those are that are working and will beginning will begin to work and doing different types of jobs as well as Kevin said resuming his business. We are praying for strength and for an extra measure of strength for him to be successful. We pray today that as we go through this life, as I as our time fastly and quickly approaches the end, as we get to that point where we will one day leave here, may we run with endurance the race that is set before us. We're giving him the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We will also be here this coming Wednesday at 6 p.m. I'm not sure if the women are here at 5.30. Okay, the women here at 5.30. We will be here at Bible study at 6 p.m. Having a wonderful time in the Lord. And this is what it says in the book of Matthew chapter 20, 23, verses 13 through 22. Matthew chapter 13, 23 rather, beginning at verse 13. Matthew 23, 13. I'll be starting, and this is what it says. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees! Hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you blind guys who say if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. The Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. Today as we have read this passage, I want to draw your attention to the title the hypocrites, actors on stage. The hypocrites, actors on stage. Warnings have always been a part of the Bible from the very beginning of time. You have God's blessings given along with the warnings. Initial warnings that we receive serve as a matter of protection, God never gives a warning that he will not back up if one 
continues to violate the warning. Even with the perfect Garden of Eden, Eden, warning accompanied the greatest blessing that mankind could experience, and that is God's presence with them in the Garden of Eden. So one may ask, why the significant consequence with just one sin? Well, when one sinned or the one sin that resulted from the fall, it was the result of the perfect coming to an end. Once you no longer have perfection, there is no way to get it back by any acts of the guilty party. Forgiveness covers One's imperfections, known to us as sin. So with the initial sin and the beginning of imperfection, it would require a perfect remedy that could only be supplied by the perfect one, one who had no imperfections. Your life is a life of covering By one who has no imperfections. Your life is one of covering. The law given was a constant reminder of the imperfections of our lives. It reminded you that a plan had to be put into place to protect and cover you. The covering and protection was not from a concern of a meteor hitting you. That wasn't the concern of you falling off of a cliff. The covering and protection was not from a concern of you um, failing to keep a certain law. But it was from the judgment of one who was completely holy. God himself. There is no reason to act like you do not need a covering. As you stand exposed before the one who understands and knows everything perfectly well. The very one who were supposed to lead the people of the children of Israel and the individuals who came to them, they were to be the ones refused to receive the covering. They refused and instead chose to act apart as if if in a play. It is Jesus who begins a series of woes, W-O-E-S, of woes, on individuals as not only they refused, To be covered by God, but as they prevented others from being covered. Point one, the beginning of woes. The beginning of woes. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. This woe is directed towards individuals. Like the woes directed towards the city that God pronounced judgment on back in Matthew Chapter 11, verses 20 through 24 that we covered in a previous sermon. Woe is to be understood as, as a quote, as an, as an expression of regret as well as compassion. When God gives a woe, it is an expression of regret. In chapter 23, there are seven woes and some count eight that the Lord Jesus gives to the rulers. They are considered in some cases that one believes to be the opposite of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through 10. 
There were eight Beatitudes listed there. And some in this passage here, we see eight woes, if you look carefully. But the first woe begins, and it is directed at the scribes and Pharisees. There are some commentators who think that the Pharisees and the scribes had left when the Lord had turned his attention and began to teach the people and the disciples, telling them to watch out for the religious leaders we looked at last week. And then when you get to verse 13, it is as if the Lord then turns his attention to those scribes and Pharisees who are still there, some of, and he begins to pronounce judgment on them. While they were supposed to be the ones opening up the kingdom of God by their teaching and pointing people to Christ, they in fact rejected Jesus. And they, they therefore taught people against the commands and the will of God. It is clearly stated that they are not in the kingdom. There are a lot of people today that think they're in the kingdom. There are a lot of church-going people who think they are in the kingdom. You ask some people who have gone to church for five years, are you in the kingdom? And they will say, yes, I am in the kingdom. But they have never said yes to the covering that's provided for their sins. The Lord mentions that the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, were hypocrites. And we stated some time ago, and we stated again recently, that the word hypocrite means an actor as if on a stage. Are you an actor on the stage of life? Do you act a part in this life? When people look at you, do they see the real you? Or do they see an actor playing a part as if on a stage? For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. That is a serious charge for a teacher that is supposed to open the ways of the kingdom of God or the way of the kingdom of God for people to be able to get through and to get to the Lord. But if they are standing in the way because they themselves are not in and they are closing the door, that is a most, a most bad and a dastardly situation to be in. How can one be a teacher and then refuse the very one to which they are supposed to point people to? So when a person looks at you, do you say, don't look at me, don't look at me, look at Jesus. Well, I don't see Jesus, I see you. If they don't see Jesus in you, tell me who are they supposed to look at. Please stop pointing people to Jesus. Whom they can't see and they can't see him in you. Yes, point them to Jesus, but they need to see him in you. If you say people don't look at me, then who will you tell them to go look at? Oh, go look at somebody more holier than me. Wait a minute. Are you a Christian? Are you saying I'm living for God? Then what's the problem? Are you acting a part that people can't see the real you? Or are they seeing the real you? You see, the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, throughout the entire ministry of Jesus, felt it important to oppose him. That's why I think, as I've been studying and reading this, that when it came to the time of Jesus' crucifixion, they hated him even the more because he, 
He came down hard on them, especially during this last week, exposing their air, exposing their lies, exposing what they were doing. They were saying, we want to get rid of him. He's messing up our play. These religious leaders have blocked the kingdom of heaven that people can't get to Jesus. Verse 14, these religious leaders were dedicated No matter how difficult it would be, they were zealous for their cause, no matter how wrong they were, to convert those that were coming. Now, it is believed when the word proselyte is used, it would be referring specifically to Gentiles who were coming to the Jewish religion. The word proselyte, it meant those that were leaving their Gentile pagan life and they wanted to follow the Jewish religion. Jews were not wanting to become Gentiles, but Gentiles were wanting to become Jewish. You see, it was during the, what's called the diaspora. What is the diaspora? It means dispersion. When you look at the time when the Israelites had been dispersed and had been removed from the land and had been taken into captivity, and they, they, had, been going, they had gone to Assyria, and you had found them in Egypt and the various places and in Babylon, it, it, that's called the diaspora, the, the dispersion. And when they went to these places, many of them would still carry their religious practices of serving the monotheistic, the one God. And when these pagans would see them, they would say, there's something about these individuals that I like. And so they would want to be a part of or become a part of the group that says, what is it about you that makes you so different? And so they were attracted to These individuals, because of the one God that they serve. You see, if you even look back in Exodus, you even see it there. When they left Egypt, the Lord told the group there, he told them, in fact, in Exodus chapter 12, 48, that those that are wanting to be a part, there were standards that they had to live by. If they want to be a part, this is the requirement to be a part of you. There are three things that the rabbis here, these Religious leaders demanded of those that were wanting to be a part of the Jewish nation or proselytes. Three things. They had to be circumcised. They had to be baptized. And they had to offer a sacrifice in the temple. Now, when the Lord says that you will travel land and sea, You see, it was most difficult in this time to travel by sea. But they would go to great extents just to to get one proselyte, one person. And the Lord says, when you convert that one, you make them twice as much a son of hell as you are. Lord Jesus shouldn't talk that way. That's, That's not nice. You're not being politically correct. We don't say that. It may hurt people's feelings. Don't talk that way, Jesus. Speak nice. Why don't you act a part on the play with us? Jesus said, I don't play that. Jews who were not circumcised were often called God-fearing. We come and see in the New Testament a person by the name of Cornelius. And then when we consider the fact of 
Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas beginning their ministry, you know that when they were going, many Gentiles and Greeks were coming to the Lord. And there was a great argument and disagreement that occurred that says, these Greeks that are coming to us, the Gentiles, they've got to be circumcised. And Paul says, no, they don't. And in the book of Acts, you will come and find out that during that time, there was a, a, a great uh, um, discussion that occurred in a council that came about to decide what is it that we're going to demand from the word of God of those that are coming in the faith. You see, up until that time, it was automatically expected. They had to be circumcised, baptized, and they were offered a gift at the altar. And so when Paul says they don't have to be circumcised in order to be accepted into the kingdom and to other faith, it was a problem. But the religious leaders demanded they do certain things. And, and not only that, they had to follow what was called the, the, the Mishnah. They had to follow this oral tradition of the religious leader. You see, there was a time, I see there was a time, but back at the time when the Lord gave the law to Moses, the rabbis taught that the Lord also gave the interpretation that became known as what's called the oral traditions. Now, the oral traditions were actually eventually written down between the years of A.D. AD 8120 and A.D. 200. It started by, I believe it was, uh, Rabbi Judah. And, and when you look at this matter of the, of the Mishnah, the, 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 the oral tradition that the rabbis handed down, it, it, it was something back in Matthew 15 that the Lord was discussing and brought up against them when he was arguing and brought a word against them. You see, the oral tradition they felt was so important because it would help them to keep the law. But their oral tradition actually began to, for them, to replace the law. It says that the oral traditions are more important than the Bible. And they were always running into conflict. And so when they would train these proselytes, they would train them in the oral tradition. It says, you need to agree and do this. If you do this, you'll be okay. And so they would oftentimes contradict the word of God. And in their oral traditions, they would double down on Gentiles coming to the Lord. Why? Because they were outside of the religion, and so therefore you've got to take extra time to teach them and to make them what you want them to be. You know, it's a good thing that when you have a good thing going, it's, it's a wonderful thing when you've got some a good word and you have it. A, a, a tremendous religion. You've got an awesome God that others want to serve because they see something different. And it's a horrible thing that when you take it and you twist it and you manipulate it so that it no longer has the effect that it's supposed to have. It was these religious leaders that the Lord pronounced woes on and tells them that you are not in the kingdom and you are keeping people from getting in. And then those that you cross over land and sea to get you're making them twice as much a son of hell, and they cannot get in. You will have to deal with the consequences. The third woe that the Lord gives here is different than the other four or five that's listed. All of the woes start with and basically state, you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. But, but when you get to verse number 16, you will note a slight change. And it says, Woe to you blind guides who say if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone 
Jesus, whereas by the gold of the temple. You see, in the Bible, when the Bible talks about oath, if you go back and you look at, in fact, I'm going to do that. Turn with me back to the book of, uh, we're still in Matthew, but to chapter 5, and let's read verses 33 through 37. Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. Bless you. And this is what it says in Matthew 5, beginning in verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you should not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Back in Matthew chapter 23, verse 16, beginning there, Woe to you blind guides who say if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound. By his oath. There were some oaths that the Lord said back on the mount, Sermon on the Mount, that there were people who were making oaths they had no plans nor intentions of carrying out. You see, when a person gave an oath, it basically meant that their word was not good enough. I told you that if a person got to say, I promise, and then you say, on a, on a stack of ten Bibles, you know that person's word is a problem. I won't believe it unless you do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. You've got to go through all the alphabet, alphabet to get to them. They're saying, I don't trust your word. You see, the religious leaders often felt that if we don't say certain words, then we really are not obligated to do it because it's not binding. And so if they excluded certain things that didn't invoke God, they felt that it was okay to break their oath. The Lord said, don't even swear, don't even make oaths. Just let your yes be yes and your no, no. Don't try to bolster or back it up. Do what you say. Say what you mean. And mean what you say. <laughs> this matter of swearing by the temple, the, the religious leaders had gotten to a point where they, they liked not only the special recognition from the people, but they had become, many of them, wealthy by extortion. They would say that when a person brought a gift to the Lord, that was binding. But they treated the temple with contempt. Oh, the temple don't make a difference. And the Lord is saying, wait a minute. Back up a minute. Look at what it says. In fact, I'm going to just read it. What do you blind guides who say if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. It is not the gold that the temple is made of. It is the gold that people would bring as an offering. It is the gift that a person would bring. And they are saying if you promise this gift, you can't take it back. You promised it. And so they, they, would, they would say to people that you made a promise and it is a binding oath that can not be broken. And the Lord says, you blind fools, for which is greater, 
the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred. And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind, blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred. Uh, so whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God, him who sits upon it. What is the Lord doing? He is saying that God is to be involved in everything that you do so that when you are speaking, understand and know that God is present and he is the one that you are actually serving and committing to. So don't try to get out of the thing that you say. And so here are these religious leaders teaching these individuals that are the temple and these things that you say, you just don't say that you'll be okay. But the secondary things, they focused and made those things primary where they actually never should have been. They came to place more value on their beliefs and what they would benefit from rather than honoring and respecting God. What the Lord did was to show that in everything they did, he should be understood, it should be understood, that God was to be involved in every aspect, that the temple is considered to be his dwelling place. The earth is his footstool. Heaven is his throne. There was nothing that should be understood as being separate from God. Jesus' pronouncements of these woes was to expose the hypocrites on the stage that they had built and condemn them for leading others to hell. Their anger, as I told you, it's mounting. It's mounting. Their anger is mounting because the Lord himself is saying, you're not getting in and you're leading people astray. When you look at the woes that the Lord gives here and these pronouncements of judgment, it, it was a way of trying to let the people know that I have regret and I've got compassion for you. But if you don't change, you're lost. And one of the interesting things that we've got to consider, all of the things that had come before, what their fathers had done in destroying the, the, the prophets and those that God had sent, the buildup, they would be responsible for, be responsible for and the judgment would fall heavily upon them. Why? Because here they now have the key to life, the king of glory. Everything the scriptures were pointing to. And they said no to him. And then they prevented others from coming to him and acknowledging and serving him. And so the Lord actually pronounced judgment. And, and, and as you look at this, as I was considering this, I'm saying, my goodness, the Lord in this last week before he goes to the cross is being, he, he's, he's not holding anything back. As he delivers this message to them. These woes are warnings. All throughout the Bible from Genesis all the way to the end to Revelation. You find and see God's warning. Even when you consider the kings, the kings of God and the, the, the nation of Israel that had been split. When it went uh, from the ten tribes to Jeroboam and the two tribes, to Rehoboam, Solomon's son. When you look at all of these, it had always been warnings, and it all tied back to one's disobedience to the Lord. Do you not know 
that when a people who have truth won't acknowledge and refuse to accept truth, that they will give heed and give ear to a lie and accept the lie. When truth is rejected and continues to be rejected, the only thing that remains for you to actually have and to accept is that which is a lie. If the religious leaders are training and teaching these individuals, these Gentiles who really want to come in and know the right way, if they're teaching them to become a, a son of hell, double what these religious leaders are, what then is left if a person is being taught wrong and being led away from the Lord, there is no hope. I'll say this in conclusion. If you are acting a part on a play, who are you trying to impress? Who's your audience? Who are you living for? You see, because in most cases when we're acting a part, as, as on a stage, we want the people to look at us and we want them to applaud. But if there is no applause that is coming from the Lord, no applause that's coming from the Lord, if he's not the one applauding you, that is a dangerous place to be. These religious leaders were being applauded by the people, but the Lord said that's the only reward that they're going to get. Is that from which they would get from people. You know what you want? You want God to applaud you. You want him to be able to say to you, servant, well done. Servant, well done. Not like what in the world are they doing? And so when we consider the rest of these, these next four woes, look, just watch the progression. But I want you to know that you need to consider that you are a teacher whether you realize it or not. So, are you acting a part of, as if on a stage? Are you, are you filling a role? Are you the one that's saying, follow me as I follow the Lord? So that when a person looks at you, they can say, oh, I can see why I want to follow you because why? You're following the Lord. You don't want people just following you. It's a bad thing if you don't know where you're going and you got somebody following you. There's been a couple of occasions when I thought, man, there's been a lot of traffic, and there's a person that took a turn. I said, they might be going, they're they probably going a different way. And I turned off and followed them. Because I figured they knew a way, and they were going to their house. I said, oh, man, to turn back around. Be careful who you follow. Be careful who you follow. And for those who are saying, come follow me, where are you leading them to? If they're not being led to the Lord then they're being led astray. They're being led down the wrong path. Now, I'm not saying you build, beat them over the head. Come on, follow me to the Lord. No, I'm not saying that's how you start. But the idea is that you want to lead people to Jesus. And so when we look at the woes, we want to make sure that we're not in the camp of the scribes and the Pharisees. You don't want to be a blind guide, but you want to be one. That's following the word of God and following him to his eternal abode. So as in conclusion, are you being a hypocrite as an actor on the stage? Or are you being a leader that's leading people to the almighty God? Today, God, we are grateful to you for your loving kindness. We pray that in this part one of this, these woes that you will help us to 
take heed of the word of God and to recognize that the religious leaders as teachers had a great responsibility because they had people that were wanting to follow the Judaism, the God that they followed, and yet they felt it important to lead them in a different direction. May we remember that our leading comes from the word of God and that we are to point people to the word of God. Not what people want to hear, but what the Lord has called us to tell people. And so today we pray that we will be sensitive to the needs of people. There are people that are, that's leaving this world on a daily basis. We don't know when people are going to leave that we have contact with. We don't know when their time will be. So may we make, make the most of every opportunity. May, may we make the most of the time that we have been given to spread the word of God. We thank you right now that you again have entrusted us with the wonderful privilege of being able to share the good news to a dying world. So may people see the Christ in us, the life the Lord has given us. May it, it point to the Savior. May lives be transformed. May people be challenged to do that which is holy and honoring to you. We know that it's the Holy Spirit that makes the difference, that makes the changes. The Lord, the Holy Spirit, that does the prompting. And so we praise your holy name that you have given us the help that we need. We love you today, and we honor you and give you all of the glory. And we bless you. Now, as we leave this place today, we do pray for Bridget's mom and Bridget. We lift up Sister Beth in a special way that you will bring complete recovery to her body, her mind. We thank you right now, and we pray that you would just help Bridget, even in the time right now of the emotional stress, that you would just bring comfort to her very life. We do give you the glory and all of the praise. We lift up Mary Jean and her family, that you will do a work and that you will be glorified. We do praise you, we love you, and we honor you in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. May God bless you. Amen.